0: You bop it. You bop it. it. You You bop it.
1: In 2014, the large hadron collider will smash together high-energy p- 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 positrons to once and all settle the question where the heck is all that jeering coming from?
2: Poetry night rings through.
3: On Monday, July 30th, we said Keep it going. Please welcome Shannon to the stage.
4: Morning sunlight, sun low stretches shadows long. Twinkle through the branches that sway in the current. Bathe me please. Stronger the light, harsher the dark. Sun cannot be everywhere. Nature's landscape prevents it. God made or not. Crow flies by, nods its head, as if it remembers me. Your life so simple, crow, please brood over my features. A wink when you fly by will let me know that they are fixed in your mind. The sun may not always find me. Yet your wings move you amongst the penumbras and illuminations. Your nod crow brings me comfort. For somewhere, by someone, I am remembered. Thank you.
3: Shannon. Thank you, Shannon. Please welcome Chris Gusta.
5: So first, I'm going to read a poem by Sarah Galvin, who's a poet from Seattle, who I think is excellent. This poem's called Velvet Ropes. Whenever I watch Beetlejuice, you send letters to colleges detailing my plans to drug and undress every one of my students the day I get a professorship. This is terrible, because quietly watching movies at home is the only way I can think of to combat the impression that my elusive interest in academia is the access to naked, unconscious students. The news helicopters circling my apartment have made me so anxious my thoughts seem separated from all possible articulation, as if by the velvet ropes that surround sculptures and museums, though often all that needs to be said is I was eating some cereal, there were clumps of fake hair on the carpet, you threw a beer at a man's head. Thanks. I can be the kindness of strangers, with an aroma of sympathy and detachment, sitting at the lunch counter, flirting with waitresses. I think I am built for this. Dancing unobtrusive, waiting for morning, it is written here on my arm in this picture of a twin bed, walls of photographs. I didn't tell you when it's time, sometimes you feel the too long and go home for bed, filled with the mechanical warmth of my metabolism, cocooned in a lack of threatening. There is nothing to convince yourself of. It's here, this warmth, and better to give it away with a handshake or a hug than for it to burn all of the sleeping hours with a lighthouse chest. Thanks.
3: Thank you, Chris Gusta. Keep it going for Chris. Please welcome Malcolm Kenyon to the stage.
0: This is called Kestrel Tool Company, Lopez Island, Washington, 1987. A nervous breakdown is like pulling G's. The peripheral disappears. White outlines crowd the edge of consciousness like creeping fog. The mind goes into shock and hides inside the central thorax. Like a recreated fetus of oneself, hibernating, waiting for rebirth. Outside, the willows dripped. Condensation formed on tips of buds thrust forth in blind, dumb faith that things of things that spring will come. The shipping shed at twilight was all the world that I could take. More like a packing crate with serene light and shadowed shapes of apple trees and grazing deer and fog while slow mating calls of buoys on the rocks and coves nearby gave centering to passing boats and souls adrift. The forge was colder than the yard outside. Snow floated through the slats where battens broke and refused to land, lighter than gravity. We worked in gloves, breathed crystal clouds plodding through our dull routine, crude technology of copper, steel, and wood, belying our underlying skill and the beauty of our artifacts. Naked, we shared sauna baths, and for lunch, ate spare sandwiches of homemade bread and whatever edible came to hand, squash from Irene's garden, a hapless deer grown too fond of apples, played Afropop on Greg's stereo, and drank good beer sometimes. From a single bottle someone brought, we passed around three ways. And as these winter days ran down to spring, this strange man amidst the hippies, driven here to hide in fog by impending madness, began imperceptibly to mend. Thank you.
3: That is Malcolm Kenyon. Keep it going. Keep it going. Please welcome Jeff.
6: This is what never really means. There is a match burning on the table in the house we're locked out of. Your hands are cupped against the dust encrusted window, watching it closely. The house is on the branches of a tree. The tree is on the summit of a mountain. And the mountain is its own island. I'm standing on the ocean floor, my arms vertically out towards you, waiting for decades. You are a butterfly, and I am a starfish. We've never met, and we never will. This is called Home. We are sitting down for dinner. The table is full of plates. There is no table, and there are no plates. There is just full. It's between me and my chair and you. You are butterfly perched on the window. I rise, my chair squeaks, and you fly away. Thank you.
3: That is Jeff, give him a hand. Keep it going. Please welcome welcome Ryan to our stage.
1: I have this theory. They are laughing at me behind closed doors, behind retreating footfalls, behind somber eyes. I have this theory. They have meetings where they mock me in turns, where they laugh at me, where they all laugh at me. I have no proof, but sometimes the smell of mirth like gunpowder that hangs in the air after an explosion of unsuppressed giggles, sometimes the way their eyes meet like they know each other, like they really know each other. They think they're being clever, but I know all about their big secret. I know all about how the universe is founded on a joke. I know all about the last breaths of old and dying men given to my mockery. I know I am the center of the universe. I have no proof, but how can you really prove something everybody already knows? I have this theory that you are laughing at me right now, behind those somber eyes. You are looking at me with you're laughing at me. And I don't have proof, but who needs proof when I know and you know and he knows too because he's in on the joke. And I know all about your big secret, so why don't you just laugh out loud? Go on. Laugh out loud. (laughs) Laugh out loud. Laugh out loud. And I promise I will laugh with you. This one's called Sociologists Are No Good Dirty Hippies. <laughs> Your reality is green grass. Front lawn manicured, trimmed bi-weekly, short green hairs maintained fashionably tame until some stray dog happens past and drops a fat turd right in the middle and hours of dedication ends in a steaming heap of dog shit. Instead of driving the offending canine away, healing it with curses and threats, you offer it praise. You say, thanks, pooch, for taking a shit all over my reality. Thank you for enlightening me. You let your lawn go you let your hair go you let your job go and you do nothing but smoke dank weed all day long and the neighbors say you are a no good dirty hippie and they tell their kids to stay well away from you because you are a no good dirty hippie until too many times you can't pay you can't make rent because you're a no good dirty hippie and your landlord dumps you out on the street leaving you for the garbage man to collect along with all the other trash that couldn't be recycled and you go around shitting on people's front lawns and sometimes they catch you and when they do they bring you rolls of toilet paper and after you have wiped they embrace you and they thank you for the shit that shattered their socially constructed universe and you smile because you realize you are an evangelist but you're still a no good dirty hippie
3: That is Ryan, give him a hand. Please welcome Stephen Millward to the stage. Last week I was kayaking in the islands and I paddled into a family of otter. Two otter went up the cliff and sat on the rocks, closer to them from here to the wall. Three more came up around the kayak, close enough I could have petted them. It was a truly spectacular moment. And later that day, I climbed Cypress Mountain and had a, an audience with an oracle. Reaching across time, George Vancouver explored the world. Magellan, Cook, and Vancouver filled in the blank spaces on the globe. In, a, in 1792, 300 years after Columbus, he entered Puget Sound and anchored in a natural harbor by a mountainous island. On shore, they picked wild strawberries, these men hadn't seen fresh fruit in months, had not seen strawberries in years. For them, it was a heavenly experience. They named the small island Strawberry Island and the large island Cypress Island. At this time, George Washington, the president of a young country, sent Captain Gray to explore the new lands of the West Coast. His ship, Columbia, was a retired privateer, a pirate ship that fought in the Revolutionary War. And so began the long struggle to take the West Coast from first Spain and then England. Once again, the Columbia set sail, seeking to extract great wealth from England. Gray discovered the Columbia River and named it after his ship. He also discovered Gray's Harbor, where my family are some of the first white settlers. Gray's supply ship was named the Lady Washington. Twenty years ago, the Lady Washington was rebuilt in Gray's Harbor, and I have sailed on her many times. When Gray reported his discoveries, President Jefferson sent Lewis and Clark overland to explore the Louisiana Purchase. It, by charting its mouth and mapping it, it was believed the Columbia Basin could be wrestled from Britain. I now have ships on Lolo Pass, where Lewis and Clark crossed the Continental Divide, and I shall soon ride the same trails they used on their voyage of discovery. In 1846, the Treaty of Oregon forced the British to move the city of Vancouver 300 miles more north from the Columbia River to the mouth of the Fraser. In the following centuries, both the Spanish and English empires faded, folded, and imploded. For over a century, my ancestors applied the waters of Puget Sound, and on this day, I anchored my ship at Cypress Island and climbed the mountain. On its summit, I visited Cypress Lake and wandered the old airfield, where I noticed wild strawberries. As I knelt to pick one, I remembered the strawberries are a runner plant. They clone themselves, and one plant can live 1,000 years and cover many acres. The strawberry I held was from the same plant that George Vancouver took sustenance from 300 years before. In all the passing centuries and the birth and death of empires, it all came down to one object, and that was the strawberry I held in my hand. For it had witnessed it all. The meek had remained while the mighty did fall. That is Stephen Millward. Keep it going. Please welcome Amy to the stage.
7: We tell ourselves we're scientists, deciding at a glance the origin and the status. The mind says it needs less static for important thoughts. So the everyday needs to be filed black and white. We grew up Coke people and Pepsi people. As adults, we let cars, clothes, comments, classify us complacently. I don't really care if you are one of them, but can you please be one of me? Because the connection that we share is that we're going to die. So start there, (laughs) or if you must. Press me into your memory as a person who can spot four-leaf clovers. But you, tipped on the top and refusing to fall into a slot, I will have to continually meet anew. Thanks.
3: That is Amy. Please welcome Elizabeth to the stage. Please welcome Lizzie.
8: The appendix is a vestigial organ. No one really knows what it was for. But I think the appendix was for purring. It's just that we've forgotten how. The way we lost our fur the way we're losing our earlobes, our wisdom teeth. Smiles are so limited. A smile brackets happiness, cages it, gives it a beginning and an end. It tries simultaneously to contain and convey. But once, we could purr, infuse mood with spattering catches of contentment. We'd collect the ticking clicks of summer insects, and tumbling beach pebbles, and scatter them out again, flickering crackles strung together like pearls on a string, each one different as a fingerprint. A smile communicates. It's for you, not me. But I'm practicing my purr, that primitive pleasure.
1: That was Lizzie, ladies and gentlemen, give her a hand. Would you please welcome Laura Jones to the stage?
9: Thank you. Um, This poem is called, This is Not Your Penguin Love Story. When porcupines huddle together for warmth, they poke the shit out of each other. (laughs) I tell you that I can't do this anymore if I wasn't a quivering rodent with felled nociceptors and Merkel cells and only a slight notion that something is awry when you're right next to me. I think of the eight loads of laundry, of your constant regression to age 12 dandelion seeds that go wherever they want how cold my porcupine toes are even with you so near i parse out which of the two of us has pricked each other the most but this equation is not egalitarian no matter how i divide the quills i remember my slapped paw the list of chores you left i'm ready to freeze without you thank you
1: Laura Jones, ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome Melissa Kay to the stage.
10: All right. Hello everyone, thanks for sticking around, um, and thanks for sharing, and thank you to Robert and Robert for sharing also. It's been really fun so far. Um, okay, so I'll just start. Stepping carefully across the broken bottles and wrappers strewn across the parking lot, Yuna always held her skirt high in the air as she came to us. From a distance, we easily recognized her broken toothed smile, her tangled hair, her excited wave. When she entered our circle, we would begin our game of pass the bottle, extending arms to each other, and laughing into the night. It was our ceremony. On these nights, we picked up each other's sentences from each other's palms, laughing and blowing smoke at the trees. Bill, Irene, Jose, Yuna, and me. There was the time Bill married a woman who cheated on him with a man so ugly he didn't care. Did you hear about Yuna losing two grand at a last-minute blackjack bet at the casino? Jose, tell us again about your date. She really didn't want to kiss you in front of her cat? We strung the stories over our heads like a roof. Underneath them together, we rejoiced, reveled, and cried. Born in Korea, when it was the 12th poorest country in the world, Yuna was a child of war, rape, and a U.S. military man she had never known. She came over when she was 19, when she married an American. She said, hunger causes illusions of love. She said, I didn't love my ex-husband. She said, I discovered that only after I came to America and ate. She said, that's just how life was. We knew she carried a card in her straw purse, the name of her missing father, she said. Someday I will find him. Say, look, here I am, even though you did not want me. I will leave him first next time. On most days, she is a patchwork of color. Petting my hair when I was sick, bringing Bill food when he went hungry or gazing at us with open hands. Sometimes I ran into her walking alone past the lake, humming a song and kicking the ground listlessly. Those were days she stayed away from us. Mostly, she stayed with us, even after we'd gone to sleep, picking up colored glass bottles and stacking them where we'd been, high like a castle wall. One day, Eunice says, she will return to her motherland. It was where she learned to walk, where she chanted with her grandmother in temples, and where she peddled soy sauce on the street. As she says this, she gazes at our upturned faces, at the dirty milk crates we sit on, and the cracked, broken concrete of the parking lot where we are. It was ugly and poor, yes, she says. But it was home. Thank you.
3: That is Melissa.
1: Please welcome Ryler to our stage.
2: All right, hey, hey, what's... Um, This is called Thin Smoke. The workers and wives climbed up here long ago, their lungs growing slowly accustomed to the thin air their bones rising to the surface of their faces like stones in the weak creek they followed all through summer. In autumn, they stopped to build, and the women gave birth to children with blue veins laced below their eyes, as though permanently chilled by the cruel, briny wind skimming the mountain. Men widened the pass with dynamite that crashed back and forth across the cliffs, sawed at the nodding sea of bluish evergreens and lit low fires to clear away the brush, the smoke twisting into the haze of industrial ports multiplying down the coast. On clear days, the children of the first women could look west to the glistening salt fire of the waves, and the idea for a theater infiltrated the town, a low... Ram shackle lean-to of beams and plywood slicked in red paint where men men and women whispered in the dust light filtering from a projector. Sepia stars flickered on the screen. A woman gripped a man's hand and years later gave birth to me, though I've never been to the town bathed in bright, dry air. The hills are bare now, the lumber harvested, the buildings abandoned and decayed, and the wind's voice through their eaves is lost as many things are lost, and rush swiftly in silence down slopes to the fields and cities shimmering below.
3: Let us rather dust and So at this point,
1: it's over, right? It's, it's done.